Thank you for coming back to the best college football pick and pod in the land. We're coming to you from bellyupsports.com. He is Alan Denton. I'm Thomas Black. And as we welcome Alan in, man, we are coming fresh off of a World Series victory for the Atlanta Braves. Alan, you've got to be feeling great today, right? Oh, sweet victory. Yeah, man. In my adult life, I've never had a team that I pull and root for actually win something of any significance at all. And so this is a... This is feeling pretty good. I'm riding on cloud nine. It is a beautiful feeling once you get that high that uh, lasts for an entire offseason and you can kind of dwell on the greatness of your favorite team as you go throughout you know, an offseason and await the next year. It, it really is a beautiful feeling and something that uh, should be cherished because you know you get that feeling every once in a while, but uh, like you're attesting to, it sometimes has very big gaps in your life in which you don't get that feeling. So you've got to, you've got to hold on to it while you can. Agreed. If it, if it takes 26 more years then I'll be 57 by the time they win another one. So <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm definitely enjoying this one while it lasts. Definitely do it. Alan, if you're ready for it, let's go ahead and look at the rapid recap for another purge week here on the best college football pick and pot in the land. It was a wild week, but if you're ready for it, let's go ahead and take a quick look at how we fared in the standings this past week. Yeah, all, all I can say is, sheesh, <laughs> it was rough. <laughs> <laughs> As Alan is talking about, we'll go ahead and touch on my picks first. I came away with 41 points going 6-4 and four in my picks. I had Ohio State at a 10, Georgia at a 9, Fresno State at an 8, Auburn at a 6, Mississippi State at a 5, and Baylor at a 3. Those were the wins. The losses were Michigan at a 7, Virginia at a 4, SMU at a 2, and Iowa at a 1. I went from 10th place to a tie for 4th, jumping way up in the standings up into the top 5. I have 340 points, but I'm now 16 points back of the lead after last week, Alan. I was only 15 points back. So, man, I climbed 6 spots in the standings, but I'm really in the exact same spot, pretty much 1 point worse as far as uh, points back from the leader. That is because we have a leader who's been doing tremendously these past couple of weeks. But man, I feel reasonably good, especially coming off of a week where I had the second best pick em slate in the entire group. And so I'm in a spot feeling pretty good, but I've got to make a run here over these last five weeks of the contest if I'm going to be able to be in contention for some prizes. Yeah, you you, you should feel pretty darn good. I mean, you, you did a, a, a dang good job last week. You uh, you really hit on, you know, moving that that Iowa Wisconsin game down. Um, that that helped a, a pretty good bit point wise. It's it just uh, a good week for you, and it's crazy to me, to be honest with you, that you can have as good a week as you did, and uh, and really not gain anything. Bruce just had an unreal week. True that. Alan, you came away with 35 points on the week, not faring as well in your picks, just going five and five. The wins were Ohio State at a 10, Georgia at a nine, Mississippi State at a seven, Auburn at a five, and Fresno State at a four. The losses were, oh man, this one hurts, Iowa at an eight, Michigan at a six, Virginia at a three, SMU at a two, and Texas at a one. 
Alan, it was a rough week in some senses. In other senses, it went pretty well because you went from a tie for 16th up to a tie for 11th. You now have 330 points on the season. But man, you took this one hard because of, like you said, the play at the top of our group. You were 19 points back last week. Now, even though you climbed position in the group, you're now 26 points back. So man, you're feeling a little bit worse than I am, even though you had a similar climb like I did. Oh, yeah, exactly. As you mentioned, I find myself further back than I normally was, even though the you know that that number next to my name looks looks much better. But that's like being a two loss Ole Miss team at number 15. I, I, I'm getting further from the possibility of being in playoff contention. So that's got to be corrected this week. Very much so. The next couple of weeks are going to be vital to that. As I mentioned, with only five weeks to go for people back in our range, it's going to be important to have a good couple of weeks and kind of stay within striking distance, at least as you head into the final few weeks of the season. We are trailing by 16 and 26 points respectively because of the man at the top of the leaderboard. That is, as Alan indicated, is Bruce. He has 356 points. And man, he got that separation this week because he came away with the top weekly score, scoring 46 points in comparison. Like I said, I had the second best week, but mine was only 41. So he gained five points on me. He gained on everybody and a lot of people really, really big points. He is in the lead of the pack for a performance package 4.0 from Manscaped and a $100 Visa gift card. So we've touched on it already, Alan, but Bruce has really had a tremendous run. And this past week really sets him up for that final stretch of the season in a solid position. It's not a given that he's going to run away with this thing because of the volatile turns that we can see in this pick'em contest. But man, he's sitting in a really nice spot right now. Yeah, he is. <laughs> he's the talk of the town, the envy of everyone. Good for him, man. All right, Alan, as we jump into the Pick'em Rewind, what game would you like to touch on first as we look at our Pick'em Slate from Week 9? Let's kind of work in reverse order here. How about the nightcap, one that that I wasn't actually able to to stay all the way up for, mainly because it was, it was after midnight before halftime got there, and v- Virginia going uh, to BYU in a just a, a – bonkers first half what I got to see this was one of my value picks and I missed it I had it at three um I felt really good leaving the first half with Virginia leading that game 42 to maybe 38 and uh, I felt really really good about that and then in the second half BYU just uh just manhandled them offensively and you look at the statistics they bear that out so I ended up getting a big fat x next to that one and took egg to the face because I came on here and said, hey, this is my value pick. (laughs) Hey, I understand it though, man. But here's the thing to me, you know, we walked into this game looking at what was BYU, like a two and a half point favorite a week ago. Is that about right? And, and, you know, you were talking about just flipping it to the other side. You still had Virginia on the lower end of your board, like you said, at a three. If you split your board into thirds, you know, with one through three at the bottom, eight through 10 at the top, then your four through seven, they're kind of in the middle. You had them in your bottom third. And to me, when you're talking about these teams that are in such tight spreads and games where you think that either team can win it, I, I still think there was some value on that play. To me, BYU was up 21 nothing out of the gate. It looked terrible. I ended up going on the same side with you. I took Virginia at a little higher level at a four. But like you said, it felt really good to see the Cavaliers come back, take that halftime lead, 
It was just a couple of turnovers in the second half, and man, Virginia just never had any ability to really get any stops apart from the first half when they made their comeback. Yeah, I mean, geez Louise. I said last week, like, I'm concerned about Virginia's defense. However, I, I did not see the absolute explosion coming from BYU's offense. That offense had been, for the most part, stagnant for a good part of the season. And that, that was not the case on Saturday night into Sunday morning. They were explosive and could pretty much do anything at, at will. That defense was much worse than I thought. Well, I think what we saw with this one was a game that played out very similarly to the week before, you know, the Wake Forest Army game that we talked about. You know, both of us went with Army in that game. Both offenses were nearly unstoppable in it, and it was kind of a mistake by Army that allowed the separation for Wake Forest to get the win. Kind of the same thing here with BYU getting the win. Yeah, indeed. All right, Alan, from one nightcap game to another, let's take you from a value pick that you were off on to one that I hit and I hit hard. That was with Fresno State beating San Diego State 30-20. to Man, I loved this game all last week as I looked at it. Uh, Fresno State jumped out to a 20-0 lead in this game, so I was feeling really good really early in this game. And San Diego State made a little bit of a run, but it kind of played out how I thought. I just didn't think they had enough offensive firepower. Fresno State kind of slowed down their running game, and they had the separation they needed the whole way through in this thing. Yep, you nailed it, man. And you got a crap ton of points. You had it at an eight, you said, right? Yeah. Which is remarkably good. I mean, you called it last week. Um, I trusted you on that and agreed with you on it. I, I was a little less confident, but, uh, I mean, San Diego State did exactly what we anticipated them doing. But they, could, they can score about 20 points, and that's just kind of what they do. <laughs> and that's what they were able to do even at home. And we just knew that Fresno State was almost too explosive, even against a good defensive team in San Diego State. You nailed it, and uh, Fresno State is that that win for Oregon is looking better and better every week, right? I mean, that's become a quality win for them. Absolutely, it is. And man, my my keys to this game were I looked at the Fresno State offense. I thought it was diverse. I thought it was the best offense that the Aztecs had played all season. And I was really just asking for Jake Hayner to play a good game. That's all I needed. You know, I didn't need anything spectacular, but he did exactly that. He went twenty five of forty two for three oh six and one touchdown. That was enough. You know, as long as he stayed away from the picks, as long as he stayed away from the turnovers, I thought that this Fresno State offense was going to take care of business and it wasn't even really going to be that close of a game. Because he played a good game, it opened up the running game as well. Jordan Mims ran for a buck 86 and two touchdowns. Man, this Fresno State offense is fun to watch. And uh, when they're not turning the football over, they're a really good team. Indeed. All right, Alan, from my value pick that I landed with Fresno State, let's go to your value pick that you hit. This one was Mississippi State knocking off a top 15 Kentucky team 31-17. And this is another one that uh, outside of an early start from Kentucky where they returned a punt for a touchdown and and were out to an early lead, Mm -hmm. really the play on the field, apart from the scoreboard there early, nothing felt like it was in control for the Wildcats. I think this was an awesome play by you. You ended up getting seven points with the Bulldogs, 
with the 14-point win. I went on the same side as you. We kind of talked about it last week. I wasn't exactly sure, but as the week went on, I got more and more confident in it, and I took Mississippi State at a five as well. This was another key play for me, but, uh, man, they dominated the Wildcats, 438 to 216 in yardage. Uh, Turnovers, Will Levis ended up throwing picks just like we thought he might if Mississippi State had success against the Kentucky ground game, which they more or less shut down the entire game. Uh, Thorough domination from the Bulldogs. Yeah, if you can stop Kentucky's run game, then and you can stop Wandell Robinson and, and just hold him to you know just decent yardage. This this Kentucky team is there to be had, right? And Mississippi State at home. And how about dang Will Rogers? Danger Will Rogers. You know, like the man went thirty six to thirty nine for three forty four and a touchdown, and that is unbelievable. It wasn't like they were able to run the ball a ton against this, the stout Kentucky defensive line, but Kentucky's secondary continually has some issues. We just had a, kind of a thought, an inkling, if you will, that Will Levis would turn the ball over. And he did. I was kind of nervous coming out the gate when they got that 10, nothing lead. I'm like, man, I might have really, really mismeasured Kentucky. But as the game wore on, I'm like, Mm, no, I nailed this one. <laughs> and, and man, that feels good. Well, you made the point too about Will Rogers. To me, the thing is, and looking through his stats, because frankly, I haven't seen him play a whole lot this year. You know, we saw a little bit of the NC mm-hmm. State game. I've seen some highlights here and there. I saw a decent bit of this Kentucky game. Uh, but the thing is to me about Will Rogers is I think he's cleaned up his play a lot from a year ago. Uh, I think he was a true freshman a year ago. Does that sound right? Yeah, I think so. And uh, and last year, we saw him really make some mistakes. I think he's forcing the ball less this year. And against this Kentucky defense that hasn't forced a lot of turnovers, I think they were playing kind of a lot of cloud coverage, dropping guys into coverage, and he was just dinking and dunking the ball down the field. And he was protecting the ball, making sure they continually moved, and it set them up easily for the win. Yeah, I mean, they coasted. It was 31-10. to 10. Uh, You know, Kentucky got a score to make it 31-17 in the fourth quarter, but – this one had had been done for for a little bit, and maybe honestly, that fourteen point margin doesn't even go to show how much of a dominant performance this was by Kentucky. You got to look at some of those stats that you mentioned earlier to see just how good a performance this was by the Bulldogs. Agreed. From one SEC good performance to another, Alan, let's take a look at the Auburn Ole Miss game. Man, this mm. one was fun, uh, but it never was really all that close, and I kind of credit Auburn just getting out to an early start Uh, on the first three possessions of the game I think this was really the key to getting things moving in the right direction you know Auburn started with the ball scored a touchdown then they limited Ole Miss to a field goal in the second possession and then they scored a touchdown again on their second possession to go up 14 to 3 that's what started it and to me that was kind of the separation that they held all game long against kind of a banged up Matt Corral and an Ole Miss offense that just wasn't quite clicking on all cylinders yeah, you can tell that they're misfiring a little bit, you know, like my old Chevy truck after a few years after it got beat up for a good little bit, it just started misfiring, coming up some hills. And, and it, it's, that's kind of what this Ole Miss offense felt like a little bit. Credit some of that to this Auburn defense. They are a pretty good defense, as we've seen throughout the year. Uh, but I, I think it has more to do with Matt Corral being banged up, getting hurt in this game. And then coming back in, but credit Bo Nix and company. He was, again, really, really efficient. Went 22-30 for 276 and a touchdown. And then you got 
Thomas the Tank Bigsby engine, and that dude just <laughs> was rolling down the tracks for uh, 23 carries for 140 yards and a touchdown. He Them being able to consistently run the ball whenever they wanted to was the thing that I kept coming back to. I'm like, I just feel like on the road, Ole Miss is going to end up kicking some field goals, and that with them being able to run the ball as efficiently as they have been, that they were going to get done, and and they did. Yeah, and it's kind of a two-headed monster. I mean, this Auburn offense is set up to run the ball well. You mentioned Bigsby. Yeah. They also have Jarquez Hunter, who's been tremendous as a true freshman. Uh, those guys are really, really good. And going up against an Ole Miss defense that, hey, I think they've taken some steps and improved some mm-hmm. this season, but that run defense isn't that great. And so uh, they're not that bad when they play teams that can't really run the ball, but when they face a team that has talent in the backfield and has a good offensive line, they tend to struggle a good bit. And uh, I think that set up Auburn for a lot of success in this game. Yeah, uh, I agree. It, it led to, to them being fairly comfortable in this game. It, it it never felt like Ole Miss really was was going to be able to to come back after that 14 to 3 lead. Yeah, and to me, Alan, this was another one that was really big in the contest because yes. uh, this is a matchup that there's going to be a lot of people on both sides. Ole Miss was the higher ranked team. Uh, people kind of see a lot of them because they've had some games that where they really score a lot of points. They've got the fireworks offensively. Lane Kiffin's system's awesome, but you look at this Auburn team, I don't know. It felt to me pretty safe that they were going to get the win, home field advantage, and the better defense. I landed six points on this one. You landed five points. I can't blame people for taking Ole Miss, but I think this was a big swing game. Yeah, this is the reason that, you you know, the number uh, on the, next to our names are, are higher this week than they were last week, even though, especially me, is way like actual point value behind the leader, but I'm up to 11 now about, about to jump back into the top 10. Yeah, absolutely. Alan, another one that uh, we were both on the same side with, but we ended up on the wrong end. Michigan fell to Michigan state, but this one, the Wolverines were in control for a lot of it, but it was Michigan oh. state behind Kenneth Walker powering back late for the win. Frickin' Harbaugh, man. Jeez Louise. He just, He's just got that punchable face anyway. And then you lose a game like this when I finally gave them my vote of confidence. I finally trusted them. And what does he do? He puts a stupid freshman quarterback in there that doesn't even know how to handle a dang snap, that fumbles <laughs> it, that gives the game away. How about Kenneth Walker, though? I mean, he is remarkable, deserves to be in New York at year's end. But Michigan dominated this freaking game. They had 552 yards to Michigan State's 395. I would pick Michigan again if I were playing this game again because Michigan's the better team. But you know what? It looks bad on Michigan to lose this game with them being up 16 in the third quarter. And then, not only that, but then the the entire narrative for the entire fourth quarter by Gus Johnson is that Mel Tucker said all week that we're tougher than these jabronis and we're going to show it. And they did. Like that's maybe the most condemning thing of anything that happened on Saturday. It was quite a game, man. A lot of what you touched on, I agree with, but really to me, I'll, I'll echo what you said. If this game's played again today, tomorrow, Saturday, whenever I'm picking Michigan again, they may have lost by four, but you mentioned the domination and yardage over 150 yards in advantage of Michigan. Uh, But to me, 
like you said, more than midway through the third quarter. It's 30 to 14. And really, things had to work out perfect for Michigan State. And credit mm-hmm. them, it did. But what it meant was they scored a touchdown, went for two, got it, cut it to a one-possession game. Then they scored another touchdown, went for two again, and got it to tie the game at 30-30. If either of those two-point conversions is off, which easily could have happened, we very easily could be talking about a different game late. And Michigan was kind of mm-hmm. in a position where late they could have kicked a field goal. They ended up going for it, didn't get it. And if one of those two-point conversions is off, even if Michigan State has a lead at some point, Michigan might be more likely to kick a field goal, you know, to tie or take the lead in one of those scenarios. And it really probably plays out in their favor. So I think things kind of turned with that scenario with Michigan State scoring and then getting the two-point conversions because I think that changed the game completely. Yeah, it did. I mean, they they made it happen, but I was pretty much fuming watching this game, even though it was... I think the funnest game of the day, and I saw where I think maybe the the highest rated game of of the year, television wise. I mean, mm. it was it was can't miss TV. Absolutely, Alan. Another one that was uh, close for a little while, but not super long. We had Georgia beating Florida thirty four to seven. But man, this one was nuts. It was three nothing Georgia with less than two and a half minutes to go in the first half. The game's playing out like, man, this is going to be a defensive struggle and neither team's going to get an advantage. And we're probably looking at a three nothing halftime score. But then Anthony Richardson blew up, and I'm not talking about in a good way. He had a fumble. <laughs> an interception, and then a pick six on consecutive drives. And again, with less than two and a half minutes into the game, we go from 3 nothing Georgia to 24 nothing Georgia at the break. Oh, my gosh. Anthony Richardson like went his full, like, full Oprah for Halloween, right? Like he dressed as Oprah and started just giving things, giving the, the football away like it was going out of style. Jeez um, Louise. It's not that this just looks really bad on Florida. You could tell that they had, they had some juice to be able to hang with them. And this is an aside, but Stetson Bennett is not a quarterback. You're going to win a national championship with. So Kirby smart is um, he's kind of rolling dice a little bit here um, doing this. They're eight. No, they're fine. They got through it 34 to seven. I think they were going to win this game regardless, but goodness me just so bad and Dan Mullins like his house was built on sand and it's starting to implode it feels like yeah we got some interesting things going on in Gainesville obviously on the field the product hasn't been great this year and then off the field you've got weird things going on with the media his press conferences Mm -hmm. he's shutting things down there's a lot of questions swirling around that program right now I I don't think it's probably going to bottom out this year but but it'll be interesting to watch for sure as we get deeper into the season yeah, I, I did not see them being four and four this at this point in the year, did you? <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, I, to me, I thought it was a little overblown. I heard some people in the preseason talking about this team contending for the SEC East. I didn't really buy into that because of the loss of Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts and all those receivers last year. I kind of knew that this offense was going to be looking different, and I thought that was going to take some transition time, and that's been true. But in senses, Florida's been pretty good this year, but man, they just keep on finding ways to lose games. Yeah, they, they do. It is what it is, and uh, it's it's actually kind of nice for, for them to be on this end where things are crumbling. 
because Lord knows they've had a lot of things go right for a while. Absolutely. I thought one other interesting point to put away in this game, of course, again, the final score is 34-7, to but we mentioned all those turnovers late deep on the Florida side that Georgia was able to get. Florida actually won the yardage battle in this game, 355 to 354. It's only by one yard, but that stands out to me that this Georgia offense wasn't necessarily all that productive in this game. So really the way the game played out on the field was a lot closer than that final score of 34 to 7. Absolutely. That's why I'm saying like I'm not convinced with that Stetson Bennett can win a, a national championship, even with this all-world defense that that they have. And it goes to show you again, that even with all those turnovers, that uh, Dan Mullen is probably the best play caller in all of football. The man just knows how to draw it up and and have people execute on the field. Absolutely. Alan, we both got nine points on Georgia to a game where we both got big points again. Ohio State beating Penn State 33-24. to There wasn't a lot of question about why you would put Ohio State at the top in this week. It was kind of obvious, but at the same time, this game felt like it was way more in play than I ever thought it would be. Give credit to Penn State. Sean Clifford and those guys came to compete, and they were in this game deep into it. Yeah, there were times that I'm like, oh my gosh, like, did I, did I mess up? Did I not even consider this game? Uh, You know, I didn't really consider it much at all. I thought at at any given point, Ohio State was going to win this game. But when, I mean, when you look at, just something like the turnover battle, Penn State had three turnovers. Now, that's been a bugaboo for them this year. But if if not for those three turnovers, I mean, this feels like this feels kind of like a, a different game with a different result. And I didn't think there was any way that could be happening uh, in this game when I picked it. Not to mention that one of those uh, turnovers was a fumble picked up by Jaron Cage. He returned it for a touchdown. I, yeah. I, if I remember correctly, man, I think that was like a seventy-yard yard return. Maybe it a little, was. maybe a little shy of that. But yeah, that's a fat man got on his horse there. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a massive play in the game because that's a drive where that possibly takes points off the board for Penn State. At that point, it looked like it probably did. And then, of course, it adds free seven points to Ohio State. So in a nine-point game, you talk about seven points off the board for the Buckeyes. You talk about possibly a field goal or a touchdown on the board for Penn State. Like you're saying, that easily could have been a different result. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it really was not too, you know, it wasn't too far in, in one direction that this couldn't have swung pretty easily. All right, Alan, we only have a few more games to look at. One that we were on different sides. I think it was the only one of the entire week. In fact, it was. I took Baylor at a three. You took Texas at a one. I can't blame you, but man, once again, Texas kind of just finds a way to lose a game. They were up 21 to 10 in this thing. They felt like they were kind of in control, but I stuck with Baylor thinking, man, this defense has been pretty good, and I think their offense is going to find some success against the Texas defense. That ultimately came true with Baylor finding a seven-point win. Dude, what what's the deal with Sark losing these games that he's leading going into half and in the third quarter? Like you said, they should have absolutely won this game. I still feel really good about this pick. And I was like, man, here we go. I'm, I'm going to be able to kind of get up uh, early and, and get a nice pick. You know, that most people are going to pick Baylor. Some pick, some people pick Baylor really high. Um, they, they looked, they looked the part for most of the game. But that defense just wears down. It seems like they're they're thin. It felt like the they really bogged down on the play calling 
in the middle third quarter going into the fourth quarter and Baylor just took advantage that the difference was I, I think that they were on the road and they just got to find a way to win that that football game it's bad news that they're four and four this year they have no business being four and four essentially yeah they've found leads in a bunch of games that they found ways to lose but I'll credit Baylor in this one with the defensive play simply because they found a way to contain B. John Robinson I'll say even more than that they really just shut him down he only had 17 carries for 43 yards I mean they oh, just yeah. shut down the running game so at that point the pressure's on Casey Thompson which he's been pretty good this year for the most part but I was kind of put my points on Baylor thinking that they might have some success against B. John Robinson man they had way more success against him than I thought they would yeah, they they really did. I think this game was lost going into halftime. If you're watching the game, Texas has a wide open guy just drop the ball going in, and they would have they would have taken a commanding lead going into the half, but drops a touchdown, and then the next play, Casey Thompson throws an interception. So not only did they not get seven points, but they didn't get any points. And then the second half became what it was. You just you got to find a way to 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 make plays for your quarterback, who who I I think's played pretty darn well this year. Absolutely, Alan. For another one that we were both on the same side, yet we missed. We had another just bonkers game late. This was Houston coming up with a forty four thirty seven win over SMU. We both took. SMU at a two so we were both on the same page with this one I didn't have a lot of confidence in it but man this one was interesting in that Houston got out to a 17 nothing lead and I was feeling really bad about my pick worrying about Houston figuring out a way to win this game easily but SMU just chipped away and chipped away and chipped away they tie the game at 37 with 30 seconds to go in the game and I'm thinking all right I'm okay You know, SMU's figured out a way to come back from 17 down. They tie up the game. We're headed to overtime. That's what's happening. I flip over to another game to make sure I can keep an eye of what's going on. I flip it back, and all of a sudden, SMU's down. A kickoff return for a touchdown won this thing for Houston. Man, it was ridiculous. Credit to Marcus Jones taking the 100-yard kick back. It was unbelievable to see how Houston kind of controlled the game early, gave up the lead, and then ultimately won it, you know, in the closing seconds. Absolutely. It's time to hop on Denton's soapbox for a minute. I I just can't tell you how unfathomably incompetent Sonny Dykes looked on Saturday night, not because of how they started, but because of how they finished. It was a great play, as you mentioned, to return that kickoff 100 yards for a touchdown but they had no business even having a kickoff to be done. They, get this, for some unknown reason, on fourth down, like I still, I cannot for the life of me understand what was going on. They call timeout unnecessarily with 30 seconds left. Yeah, They didn't have to call that timeout. They could have called it with three seconds left and let the kick be the last play of the game. It wasn't as if they had all of their timeouts and they were trying to maybe save it in case they missed the field goal. They just called timeout with 30 seconds left, I guess, because, you know, they wanted to be gracious and merciful and and full of steadfast (laughs) love. They wanted to be Exodus 34 to these people. And and I'm just like, what are you freaking doing? And then and then they take the, the kick back. And I'm like, that is so 
unbelievably bad. I'm I'm still angry about it. I, I really am. Like when I see that kind of malpractice and I see how much those goobers make, I, I just can't fathom why in the world they called that timeout and allowed them to even have the opportunity to take this kickoff back. It should have gone into overtime. And I think if it does, SMU wins, but hey, it's only two points. But when I see something garbage like that, you got to call for what it is. Yeah, and I mean the the post game interview with Dana Holgerson kind of pointed to the same thing. I, they weren't really asking about the time scenario, but if I caught it right, they were kind of asking Dana Holgerson, "Why in the world would somebody kick the ball to Marcus Jones?" You know, I'm not some Houston Cougars football aficionado. You know, I don't I don't know everything about that program, but apparently Marcus Jones is known for doing this type of thing. You know, he's a good enough athlete and he has some explosive plays under his belt. So I think the question they were asking is why in the world would you kick it to him? Why wouldn't you put it anywhere else? And he said, I had the same exact thought. You know, they I see them kicking it deep to Marcus Jones, and I'm thinking, all right, go ahead. You know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I, I, it's just it, it's just as as bad as you can get all wrapped in one play. And because of that, they deserve to lose every single game the rest of the year. It was that bad of a call, in my opinion. (laughs) All right, Alan, let's move on to the final game we need to look at. Wisconsin winning easily over Iowa, 27-7. Man, this was a value pick for me. I said neither team should be valued very high. Uh, We were on the same side on this one, both picking Iowa, but I had the Hawkeyes at a one. Man, Alan, you had the Hawkeyes at an eight. I don't want to rain too much on you, but we've got to understand what was going through your head with this matchup, uh, and the turnover game simply did not play the way that I'm guessing you you were thinking it would. Whoa, no, 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 not at all. I did not anticipate. Okay, here's the deal. I I knew that, um, that Iowa would turn the ball over. I did not expect them to be impotent on offense (laughs) i mean this was just maybe one of the worst games i've ever seen them play and what in the world i don't know what kirk ferentz was thinking about they made graham mertz look pretty darn good and to be quite honest that's kind of hard to do this defense i think just got so beaten down by bad turnovers Iowa couldn't run the ball. I thought, really, and here's the reason I I did. I anticipated them being able to turn Wisconsin over. That didn't happen. Instead, they turned the ball over three times, and pretty much all of them were were just devastating plays that immediately led to Wisconsin touchdowns. And they were coming off a bye week. Iowa was coming off a bye week after their loss, and I was thinking, oh, man, they're going to come out – and they're going to act like they want to be here. And they they acted like they didn't want to play football anymore. Um, and so I, I thought they were going to come out focused and ready because they still, Iowa still has everything to play for. And and they just didn't. They, they looked disinterested and Wisconsin just buried them with physicality. Yeah, that's the truth. I mean, the reason I had this one so low on my board is I understand the extra week of preparation like you're talking about. I kind of had that in the back of my mind as well. But I knew that this Iowa offense, we've talked about it here on this podcast all year, it's no good. And so I thought they'd have more success than they did. They only had a little over 150 yards of offense, just absolutely dreadful. But they're going up against a really good Wisconsin defense. So I knew that they were going to have limited opportunities to score in this game. They needed to protect the ball. Like you said, they had the three turnovers. They also went over three on fourth downs. Those things combined together 
puts together a recipe where Iowa just wasn't going to win this game. And like you said, when they turn the ball over deep on their own own end of the field, that is going to allow Wisconsin, a team that isn't very good offensively either, to get some free points. That's kind of what the separation was in this game. Yeah, it really was. You were right on this one. I I felt decent enough uh, about Iowa and what I'd seen previously that, that they would get it back together. And I did not think that Wisconsin, I mean, they played the best game of their year this, this week. Um, and sometimes that happens, but it was a painful, painful loss to take that high on the board. Definitely. And uh, I mean, I kind of had this game right. I told everybody to lower the value on this one, you no did. matter who you picked. Turns out you could have, you would have fared pretty well if you put Wisconsin pretty high up. So that kind of goes against me. But at the same time, when you're talking about the turnovers deep on Iowa's end of the field, and again, Wisconsin really didn't have to generate yardage to generate points. They were kind of free points for them all game. If you kind of take away those scenarios, then we're probably talking about a game where Wisconsin still wins the thing, but it might have been more like a 14 to 7 or a, you know, like a 10 to 7 final, something like that. I think the, the turnovers really the difference. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, yeah, you you nailed it. Um, kudos to you on that one, dude. I appreciate it. I don't, I don't feel exactly like I nailed it, but I mean, you know, if the turnovers have gone the other way, we're probably talking about a game that could have gone either way. So I don't know. Yep. We'll see. I, I feel okay with the pick, and I'm certainly glad I put Iowa as low as I did. Alan, one of the things that can help out the podcast the most is our listeners can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. That is something that helps us a tremendous amount. And if you like the show, you can follow it on Facebook and Twitter at The Blackout Pod. Do those things and you'll get social media updates about the contest, our next contest, the standings, what games uh, are on each weekly slate early in the week. Those are the things we put out there and you can get in contact with us and let us know what you think about the podcast and the contest as we go deeper into the season. And Alan, thank you for your time, but we've got to let everybody know we're coming right back because we're going to have our Week 10 Pick'em Pod coming up next for a very interesting slate as we hit the stretch run of the season. That's right. Come on right back, and uh, we'll get you filled in for this week. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here.